Hello and welcome back to another episode of Campbell Conversations with your host Colin Campbell and today's conversation is with the Brewer Brothers and we are speaking about their successful race across the Atlantic in the Talisker Whiskey Challenge that led to them setting three world records. We'll get into more detail around how they prepared for the challenge in terms of their training, their nutrition, their mindset as well as their equipment. The boys also share some of the biggest challenges that you face during a race like this. And we end up having a conversation around presence and entering a flow state, some of which we can hopefully take into the busy rush nature that many of us live in this modern day age. Having raised almost £200,000 at this point for their chosen charities, Feedback Madagascar and Children First, we have a bit of a think about what might be next for the boys and they are open to your suggestions when it comes to mad challenges. In terms of this episode, I think there's a lot we can take when it comes to seeing people partake in pretty extraordinary feats and then scaling that down into how we can take that towards improvement in our own lives. In particular, I think the conversation around presence is going to be something that resonates with a lot of us. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello folks and welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations and today's conversation we are joined by triple world record holders, the Brewer Brothers, and we're going to be speaking about their successful 3,000 mile challenge that they did across the Atlantic, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge in January 2020. It was three brothers that crossed the Atlantic in record time. Tonight we're joined by two of them, Jamie and Lachlan. Boys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having us on. A pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So I remember seeing this at the time in, in the press and within the Glasgow rugby community, there was a lot of sharing of the stuff on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. Social media, it was all over it. And it was uh, these three young guys from, from Edinburgh that rode across the, the, the Atlantic in, in, a, in a fairly small looking boat. And, and, in, and in, in record time as well. So do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a background on what the challenge was all about and where it came from? Because it's a pretty remarkable feat as, as we'll go into throughout the episode. Sure. So I'll touch on what it is and then you can touch on how it came about. So the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, it's a 3,000 mile rowing race across the Atlantic. Um, it's an annual race, uh, runs each year. Uh, it's unsupported. So you really have to... You're out there on your own for anywhere between 30 and 60 days, sometimes longer. It's, uh, it's a, there were 36 boats in our race, ranging from solo rowers to five-person teams. Um, we were a trio. There's different classes of boat, but in general, there's two types of boat. There's the one for the pairs and the solos, and then the trios, the quads, and the five-person are in the same kind of boat. Um, yeah, so it's unsupported, so you've got to take all your own food, kind of like spaceman food, freeze-dried stuff, rations, figure out how much you need for it, uh, how long your crossing might take. You have to make your own water on board, so you've got a desalinator that turns salt water to fresh water. That's powered by solar panels that charge batteries that run all your electrical equipment on board. Our boat was 28 feet long, um, two little cabins either end for, for sleeping in. 
and so we you would run a shift pattern um because we were three it was a bit awkward we couldn't do the normal shift pattern of two hours on two hours off so it would it, we had to play about with that we ended up majority doing two hours on one hour off and then having a longer rest at night and you'd sleep in these little kind of like little cabins at either end of the boat pretty miserable by day two but um <laughs> so yeah I, I don't know what else to tell you about the race but it's it was a remarkable experience really and uh to be out there in this completely alien environment for 35 days with your two brothers thanks jamie and i suppose uh, lachlan what, what kind of drove the the brothers to pull together to decide to do this and was it something all three of you were up for or was there a bit of cajoling and how did it all come about yeah i know so it was actually a few years ago um i saw an ad for the race and i was planning on doing it with with a good friend of mine um so we kind of started looking into it um then you know very quickly i think it was jamie actually found out about it first so i was telling him about this this oh, this awesome uh room race across the atlantic and he was very interested he thought it was an awesome idea and then finally our oldest brother ewan he kind of caught wind of this that we were looking at this race and yeah, I mean, I'd prefer to do it with my brothers than with a, with a friend because we obviously we're, we, we know each other pretty well. So that's kind of how it came about. I think um, although it was sort of my idea, we all kind of played a part in making it happen. I think, Jamie, you actually you actually paid the kind of deposit on the race. We kind of we kind of joke about I think some siblings will sign, you know, their brother or sister up for a 10K. Yeah, this is it. It was maybe up up a scale a little bit. Um, Signings <laughs> up to row across the Atlantic, but it's one of those things that as soon as you've told a few time, a few people that you you're planning on doing it, you just you just have to do it. And none of us had any rowing experience. We'd we'd done a, a little bit of sailing, but yeah, it was it was a big, it was very new challenge and unlike anything we'd ever done before. Um, but no regrets though. Not at all. And, 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 and then, I mean, in the, early, in the early days, just shortly after we'd registered, we'd learned more about the race, speaking to people who had done it in the past, reading about it, and you, you soon realise its capacity to make a huge difference to a charity as well. Um, on average, boats raise, I think, around 80 grand for a charity of their choosing, and obviously like, there's, a, there's a, the media hype around it, so there's awareness as well. So that was a really important part of it for us as well. Um, we had a sort of a desire to do it first, the three of us, and then we found out about the charities. We, we spoke with, we met with a load of different charities and settled on two fantastic Scottish-based charities, Children First and, and Feedback Madagascar. And they were, they were sort of um, really important because you're, you're, there's kind of different layers to it. There's the physical pre- preparation, there's the, the, the mental preparation, there's the getting all the the kit and you we we were i mean two students and a young professional we didn't have a huge amount of savings and so we had to we had to um fund the whole project through sponsorship so then you're you're kind of you're building a brand that you need to be able to pitch to sponsors potential sponsors to to get them to believe in what you believe in and uh, and help the dream become a reality so you've got that and then on top of that you've got all your charitable fundraising so it's it's a, a very multifaceted um, campaign a year extremely intense but incredible of course and I, I think that's the the really striking part about your story when I was 
reading up on it and then researching further to for for us to jump on the podcast tonight and like you say that branding piece as three brothers crossing the atlantic fantastic headline it raises a lot of awareness for the charities that you're working with and supporting a lot of people will be interested straight away because it's an unusual story and equally it's a really daunting challenge like you like you said Lachlan it's not as if you you signed up for the great Scottish run to run 10,000 10k you (laughs) you were going 3,000 miles across an Atlantic with fairly limited rowing experience beforehand and I think if we if we obviously share with the listeners I've said world record breakers the three records you broke if I'm right in saying are the record in terms of the fastest time so you were 35 days, nine hours and nine minutes, which was considerably faster than the previous record of 41 days. And then the other records you hold now are the first three brothers to ever row across the, across any ocean, but also the youngest and the fastest trio to, to row the Atlantic. So it's a, it's a pretty lofty list. And I guess were those aspirations that you held before you started, or was it very much listen, we we're taking on this daunting challenge will be pleased to complete it in as good a time as possible. But it's not really about speed at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. Um, one thing to notice, so that's, that's fastest trio. So we're not claiming to be the fastest ever to cross. Yeah. There's certainly yeah. not, there have been. But, but for, our, for our class of yeah. division, it was, it was yeah, the trio class, which, but yeah, as you were saying. No, it, it's a great question because... Um, so going, going into the race, as Jamie mentioned, we, we did speak to a lot of other teams and actually a lot of people do, a lot of teams do fall out because it's such an intense experience. You're in a very intense environment. You're very sleep deprived and you're kind of, it's, it, yeah, a lot of teams do fall out. And the biggest reason for that is that they, they go into it with the wrong kind of goals or not, not the wrong goals, but not the same goals. So for example, you'll have a four-man team. One of them just wants to have enjoy the experience. One of them wants to break the speed record. And then there's one in the middle who's not too fast. He's just doing it for the crack. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, going back to your question, we were, we were quite careful that we, we kind of shared the same objective. And that was to just enjoy the experience. Because we, we wanted to do it and, so it was to enjoy the experience and also to do it in the fastest time we were able to do it. Um, but we, we didn't kind of, we, we, didn't, we didn't obsess over coming first in our class or breaking the record because it's such a big process and you kind of spend this whole year putting work into making this thing happen. And our biggest fear was kind of not enjoying it. So like that was number one, just enjoying the experience. And we, we figured that if we were enjoying it, then we would go faster. So that was, that was sort of our, our philosophy, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think in, in truth, this, I mean, the, the speed record was something that we're, we're very proud to, to have now. It wasn't something that we were expecting. And we still kind of, even midway through the race, it was almost, we, we'd, we'd taken a very sort of different approach to many of the other teams, which we can go into. But um, it was, it's, everything seemed to be falling into place. And then on top of that, we had good weather. Um, so, I mean, the race is so dependent on weather. Your, your speed across is, is so dependent on the weather conditions. Um, and so everything started to fall into place. So even by midway, we were, we were pleasantly surprised to be doing as well as you were from a speed point of view. The other two records are kind of records, but non-records, because we could have in we could have 
quite easily just sat in a bathtub and floated across <laughs> and we still would have them. So I don't know. They're, they're not really performance-based. And so it's, it's, it's more a, a media-grabbing title than anything else. Yeah, from a, from a marketing perspective, like I said, the, the, the Brewer Brothers is a, is a, is a, is a, is a top-tier, a little bit of um, kind of branding that's put you in a, in a good position. But yeah, that, that's interesting that you talk about the enjoyment of it, Lachlan, because a lot of the things we speak about in the podcast is finding things that you are passionate about, but equally maybe not everyone is capable of. So finding things that you can add value while doing that maybe not everyone can do. So if we break it down to a really basic fitness example, if you're particularly good at going on an absolutely horrible grilling diet and getting really lean, then perhaps you will do well in the sport of bodybuilding equally. If you're somebody um, in the business development environment and you're quite comfortable getting rejected on the phone all the time when you're, when you're, when you're prospecting calling, then you're going to do better in that space. And it's interesting that you guys found enjoyment in the process of this fairly grueling race. And we're all aligned with your vision, your um, ideals for what you were hoping to get from the race. And it ended up with a, a positive outcome rather than, I suppose if like your example was, if, if you had been very much, Oh, I want to hit this speed record. If, if Jamie had been saying, Oh, I'll just be pleased to complete it, and 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 if Lachlan's somewhere in the middle, then you've got a you've got a disjointed approach, and ultimately you needed that alignment. And as as three brothers, you were you you were able to pull that together. We touched briefly there on the on the preparation for it. It was a full year of planning preparations. I think a lot of the listeners will be thinking, what did you do from a training perspective to get your bodies in the best possible shape? initially and then we can maybe talk a little bit more about mindset and equipment sure so so we to begin with yeah as you say it was it was at least a year some teams take longer we kind of crammed it into quite a short period of time just because it it worked it aligned with where we were in our lives at that time and so we thought this is the year to do it and if we don't do it now we're probably not going to so so we left ourselves not not a huge amount of time but yeah we did the registering process and then we kind of began training um, February, March, mm-hmm. 2019. Um, and so, um, to begin, we, 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 we sought advice and we, we, we found this guy, Gus Barton, who's a, a personal trainer in London, who's a, he's actually done an Atlantic crossing himself and he's also rode around Britain. And so he's, he's, I think the only person who, who, um, offers a kind of a program specific to ocean rowing because it's such a small niche category anyway that it obviously like not it's not on your regular personal trainers sort of list of programs that they do but thankfully we had him signed up it was a fairly it was it was an interesting program in the sense that it started off a lot with just kind of preparing your body mobility and flexibility and then it sort of ramped up into more strength and conditioning towards the end and then kind of the final month prior to the race was about just kind of injury prevention and um and just like sort of easing off not trying to knack yourself so that was um we were doing it remotely but we it was it was um both of we were in glasgow you in bristol we would kind of get updates and it was five days in the gym a week kind of the sessions would take around two hours um mainly sort of as i was saying that yeah different exercises and, and weights a little bit of rain but not a huge amount which we were all um, pleasantly um, enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. None of us really like rowing machines at all. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. Yeah. So, so we were pleasantly pleased by that. But um, yeah, and then 
it was in around March. Um, no, was it wasn't March. Yeah. So we've been doing the program for maybe a couple of months and we, um, we had the opportunity to speak at a conference in Glasgow and it just so happened that at that conference, there was this incredible lady speaking called Chloe Lanthia. Um, and she's, um, she's based in Chamonix. She's an extreme endurance sports specialist. And she heard our presentation and she spoke to us after and sort of invited us out to do a weekend with her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want to. Yeah, it's so it's probably worth mentioning the conventional approach to preparing to row an ocean. A lot, a lot of people, most people spend a lot of their year trying to put on quite a lot of um, weight and quite a lot of mass. Because the, the thinking is that when you're at sea, you're going to lose a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, so people, people lose up to kind of 20 kilos during, during a crossing. Um, so it's quite kind of an old school approach to endurance sport, I'd say. Um, so up until going to Chamonix to see Chloe, we'd been trying to do that. Now we're, we all kind of struggled to put on weight. So we were madly trying to, you know, eat 4,000 calories a day and, and, and all that. So went out to Chamonix, had this amazing week weekend with her. So we were doing lots of kind of vertical running kind of trail running stuff. Cool. Um, what else? What else were we doing? She did kind of full body assessments of us. She not only is she an athlete, she also has kind of a background in biomechanics, and she's she's also got kind of a medical background. So she just understands the body really well. Um, so she kind of did full body assessments of each of us, like where where our imbalances were, what we needed to work on in terms of mobility and stuff. So, and she also well strongly recommended that we we changed our approach from trying to put on as much mass as we could to becoming stay, just stay healthy. stay healthy and even becoming lean um so then then it changed we weren't overeating we were just eating very healthy a lot of high high fat high good carbs um so which was kind of music to our ears wasn't yeah, it yeah i mean we're all naturally quite lean um yeah and and as Lachman was saying, like we struggled to put on weight, um, and so yeah, to hear that we didn't no longer had to sort of try and consume as many calories as possible <clears throat> per day was 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 really great. Yeah. And then she also sort of helped tweak the program, and we kept in touch with her throughout. And she was also instrumental in um, our diet whilst we were at sea because that was obviously had huge huge effect on our performance um yeah. both in the lead up to the race and whilst we're at sea so that was the sort of general program i think what is important to say is that almost the most invaluable experience we had was time in the boat so we we we, we managed to raise up enough sponsorship to buy a second-hand mm. boat in june and then as soon as we had our boat in scotland we were out on her on loch Lomond as much yeah. as possible and on the west coast because you do all this work in the gym or this pre-preparation but it's really getting used to the boat getting used to what it's actually going to be like being in that boat on on different bodies of water mm. in different conditions before you realize everything sort of starts to come together and the the exercises that seem like everyone's kind of looking at you in the gym thinking what is this what is this guy doing over there <laughs> bizarre it's kind of half the things we were in our program we'd never done before so it would take twice as long because we'd be googling how to do sort of these <laughs> upside down pigeon monkey ball whatever it's called <laughs> you know, like, but but then you're in the boat and you're like okay i can understand where these these exercises have been coming into play and that's where it all started to come together i think yeah there's a huge amount for us to go in on in so many different ways there and i think one of the first of those is discussion around mobility and 
your uh, was it Chloe you said in Germany? Yeah, Chloe in, in, in France, yeah. In France, sorry. Um, so her doing that full body assessment and equally your initial PT as well, identifying that initial period of working on your mobility. And one of the big things that a lot of us forget is that if we don't service ourselves first in terms of almost prehab rather than rehab, mm-hmm. you're setting yourself up for a fail. So her looking at maybe maybe your chest is stronger than your back, maybe your quads are stronger than your hamstrings, all these different little areas, maybe your left ankle doesn't get the same level of dorsiflexion or whatever when you're rowing as you're, yeah. as you're right. And there's lots of little things to look at before you're able to reach peak performance. So I think it's refreshing to hear that that was the approach that you took because otherwise when you got into the really kind of progressive overload heavy part of your training you might have uncovered that actually jamie my my hamstrings are significantly lagging on my quads and i'm going to end up with either knee pain or hip pain whatever it would have been just due to the wear and tear so i think that's really interesting especially for the listeners who are when i mean it's not going to be peak performance like rowing the atlantic but looking for peak performance within your gym program you've got to look at the the base and the foundations first so i think it's refreshing you guys raised that and then i guess the second one sorry yeah it it was really interesting because i think by june we all thought we were quite mobile like we all felt like we had pretty mobile hips quite pretty pretty good then chloe was just like she's just a different you know we'd come from like played a bit of rugby at school to naturally very immobile um and she was like, you shouldn't, you guys shouldn't be squatting with, with, with any weight, really. You, you're, you need to work on this. And even deadlifts, she, she recommended like any heavy lifting, you guys need to work on this for a month and get actually address these things um, so that you can, you have the range of motion and then you can go back to the weight. So I don't know, you, you obviously know far more than we do about that, but it was, it was really interesting and hugely hugely pertinent to not only our training and being able to work up progressively and not kind of cause ourselves injury. But I think a lot of people, if they don't take, if they don't take check of those imbalances and try and correct them, you set off on uh, a a voyage that could be 40 to 60 days and extremely repetitive motions. If you're, if you have the smallest slight imbalance just becomes a huge problem and in the end might, stop your ability to row or whatever the exercise is and at the end of the day ruin the whole ruin the whole thing yeah great 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 points from both of you and i i think you're absolutely right when it comes to like if your foundation's built on sand when it comes to testing it in the most extreme environment which is an endurance event like that then it would have fallen to pieces so it's interesting that also chloe asked you to strip back before then going forward and and, and unloading weight and if only more people that went to the gym did that because I I came from a rugby training background as well and I was very attached to being able to squat two or three plates for reps or bench however much for reps and then when somebody was telling me well actually Colin your range is pretty poor you could get your hips wider you could you could get deeper you could um you could stimulate your muscles more with less if you were able to get into the ranges. So for it, for it, for anyone looking for applicable stuff from the podcast so far, it's to f- fix the fix everything first before you then start to, to get the load on. And the next piece to touch on, I guess, is when it came to that efficiency of being really lean and mm. not necessarily going in with the old school tactic of pushing body weight up to the maximum it can so that you've got a buffer when you go through yeah. the race. and yeah. I think when you're talking about 4,000 calories, I myself am somebody that finds it quite hard to gain weight. So when I've done my, 
my bulks and my gaining phase, whatever you want to call it in the, in the kind of more men's physique bodybuilding space, at times it's actually uncomfortable to eat that much food and your performance suffers because your gut's in turmoil and you're just not performing. Whereas you guys, like you say, you were eating these kind of clean foods, good, wholesome diet, and it was fueling you adequately for your training, but you maybe weren't able to put on a, a kilo a week or two, two kilos a month or whatever the target was initially. You're yeah. able to actually digest the food what were some of the the protocols then did you did you keep tracking calories to aim for like a really high number or what was the approach when it comes to or was it just i'm gonna eat these these meals that are fairly clean and wholesome i mean it was fair it was mainly on meals we kind of we we this is in training or whilst we're at sea Uh, training to start with if you can in the training it was it was kind of we we had a a sort of variety of different meals that we'd we'd kind of we actually ran them past Chloe just uh, to get her sort of yeah advice on whether they whether they were suitable or not. We 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 never really tracked calories. I don't think maybe in the early days trying to make sure we were eating enough when we thought we wanted to put on weight. But I think a lot of it was just listening to your body, um, and that was also really important whilst we we're at sea. But in the training, listening to your body. Um, Timing, obviously, when you're eating, so you're eating at the yeah. right times to to maximise your um, recovery and also like make sure you're not kind of going into the gym all bloated and, and things like that, you know. Yeah. But um, a lot but, of kind of a lot of so breakfast was we were well like it was, it was pretty straightforward stuff like lots of avocados. We kind of have usually eggs, an egg-based meal once a day salads lots of salads for for lunch um lots of porridge lots of porridge snacking on nuts dried fruit and and also another thing that chloe was interesting from chloe was that um not a huge kind of one one protein heavy meal a day okay and the rest was wasn't overloading on protein she was very much so like you know these a lot of these kind of protein shakes that they, you're actually, your body can't actually digest that much protein and they're just not, they're not actually doing any, you're just kind of putting your, putting your gut into turmoil more than anything else. And exactly that, gents, exactly. And given the style of training you're doing, carbs and good fats are going to be the, the fuel source that your body was needing. And especially when you weren't looking to gain weight and gain muscle, a really high protein diet would probably just add to the stress of your digestion and, the, and, and what your body's going through as well. Um, so I guess that was a couple areas within the training and the preparation I was keen to hear about. What about things like equipment? How, like, what did that look like? You said you managed to get the, the secondhand boat in June to do your practice out on the, on the, on the lochs of Scotland. Um, what, what else did um, equipment-wise look like that you needed to, to have in advance? So, I mean, thankfully, um, thankfully being part of a race, an annual event, meant that there's race organisers they're obsessed by health and safety, but they're also obsessed by ensuring that the, the competitors are actually ready to partake in, a, in something like this. Because in many in many ways, it is life or death if you're not prop, if you're not well enough prepared or have the right equipment if things do turn pear shaped. So this sort of endless list, which are very daunting at the first reading of of all these things that you've never heard of before. Um, but I mean. The, the, the most important bits of kit on the boat that, that we had to sort of, again, get sponsorship to help us to do it. The boat came sort of half ready, but it was missing. We, we had to get new batteries. We had to get, um, most importantly, our water maker, our desalinator, which is rigged up to the batteries. And 
so and takes up the solar panels solar panels um you've obviously got like your rowing seats you have to get spares for those you're rowing gates spare set of carbon fiber rain oars um spare set of oars then you've got your um the the you've got a life raft so each of the boats carries a life raft which if it does if you do have a really bad capsize and you've got something to get into okay um other emergency equipment flares beacons and this thing called a power anchor which you use if the weather turns really bad and goes against you it's like a it's a big parachute, parachute that you put underwater and it because you, you obviously can't drop an anchor out in the middle of the ocean so you, yeah. you put this parachute underwater and it kind of holds you where you are creates so much drag that you only, you can only move it like 0.5 of a knot instead of instead of what, Ten five, in the wrong five knots yeah. <laughs> yeah. brilliant so in terms of in terms of equipment that was the that was the things that were up there now we spoke um offline beforehand guys and you were saying about we could have gotten the best possible physical shape but i would have achieved nothing or we would have achieved nothing if i wasn't mentally prepared mm. what were some of the things and was chloe um a part of this in terms of mentally preparing for what you were about to put your body and your mind through for i mean potentially it could have been 41 days at sea if you'd equaled the record but you ended up doing it in, in 35 we, we were kind of uh almost expecting it to be a 50 plus day crossing okay um just i think psychologically that's because if you expect that you're going to be whatever less then it's just a bit demoralizing when you're halfway there and you realize you're going to be 20 days longer than you than you think you are but no as, as you say colin the, the psychological preparation was was and the psychological challenge of a crossing like that is is definitely the hardest bit um kind of a week into the race like all the crews i'd say are, everyone's kind of in peak fitness um obviously some you know so, some teams will be fitter and stronger than others but by and large it's how your kind of mind deals with the situation that allows you to keep keep going and keep pushing so chloe was a huge part of part of that preparation um when, when we went out and spent a weekend with her we we spent it was kind of a half day session of going through it was all, all of the things we were kind of our anxieties about the crossing all, all of our worries um so that ranged from the obvious thing of one of us going overboard because you know people are lost at, at sea and in, in races like this and fortunately not in this race um there's another race which a guy was lost a couple of years ago a 21 year old so that's yeah. That's the most obvious one, but then also like the the sleep deprivation and after twenty days of three or four hours sleep, what your mind's going to be doing so yeah. she implemented as much into training that would allow us to kind of prepare for these things um, as much as we could so the going overboard after every training session we'd we'd do kind of three or four hours of rowing, so we're, you know you're, you're a bit knackered. And then at the end of the session to just jump overboard and swim after the boat for 10 minutes, just yeah. so that if you are, you can kind of imagine what that would be like if it did happen, if you did go overboard. Um, the sleep deprivation, we started doing kind of integrating sleep deprived training into our weekly and fortnightly routine. So kind of every, initially every fortnight and then latterly every week we'd get up middle of the night after three or four hours sleep do a do a training session um 
on the water. So go out and row for three or four hours and then go back to your day and just continue with not, don't go back to bed, just continue with your day. And so you're kind of, you can't really like prepare and get better at being sleep deprived, but you just become more familiar with what it feels like. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was kind of a couple of examples of the psychological preparation. I think the first one that you raised there around that experience of putting yourself in the environment where I've just trained really hard, I'm fatigued, and now I'm going to put myself overboard and potentially feel what that might feel like. I mean, that's like, and the really corny phrase would be, we, we sweat in training so we don't bleed in battle or something something along on those lines that somebody's probably painted in a gym wall somewhere um, <laughs> embarrassingly or some girls put it as their Instagram quote to get some likes. Um, but but I think for me, it makes a lot of sense that you put yourself through a, a kind of maybe a controlled environment, challenging situation like that. So there isn't a small level of familiarity that will ease some of the anxieties that are going on in the back of your head that if this happens in, in real and in, in the match, in the, in the situation, then I'm able to react in some way that I've felt familiar with. I'm able to make those strokes on my, on, on my swim that I've done under fatigue previously in the same sort of controlled environment so i guess that gave some ease and the sleep deprived thing i mean that's that's just another level because we've had a a, a professor from stanford on the podcast talk about the importance of sleep and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and the effect it has on you on your cognitive function but also your ability to perform as well interestingly it doesn't actually have a huge effect on strength but for like your cognitive function for you guys to communicate while you were under three four hours a day is extremely challenging when it comes to doing that over a, a longer period of time and you almost sink into this level of poor performance. So I, I was interested in you, you practiced that. What were some of the things that you kind of learned ahead of time when it came to the, the sleep side of things? What kind of effects did you feel initially when you were doing this as a, a normal student in the, in the UK? Yeah, I, I, I think for me, the, I think the thing about being really well, kind of being really sleep deprived, and I'm sure lots of listeners can relate with this, but it's, it's funny because it, I find it quite, um, quite manageable until a number of things go wrong. So I can, I can function fine with it, and then I'll be put in a slightly stressful situation, and I just can't, you just can't really handle it, and it kind of just stresses you out, and you don't know what to do. So I think that I became more aware of that which was very helpful for when we were actually at sea because it's when, when, when you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're a thousand miles from land and you're, you're very exhausted and you have a technical failure and the weather turns against you. So kind of a couple of things go wrong. It just very quickly feels very overwhelming and you very, your brain can't immediately jumps to, we're not going to make it. We're, we're going to, you know, we're, we're doomed. And it's kind of like trying to control your mind from getting ahead of yourself and just like, I don't know that. I think that's for me and taking yourself aside and just kind of trying to chill yourself out a little bit, have a cup of coffee and then, and then attack the problem. I think to some, yeah, you kind of touching on a lot of it is reassurance. So kind of reassuring yourself that, okay, I can, I can, I can do a, do a workout after, only a few hours sleep and actually still function. I mean, it's obviously, it's not recommended and it's not something that you want to just build in as a nice, as a, as a weekly habit. But when you're preparing for something 
that is going to involve a lot of sleep deprivation, you know, it's reassuring to know, okay, I can, I can function at a, a, a moderately high level. Um, I don't know how sustainable it is, but I know I can. So it, for me, it would have been, if we hadn't done any of that sort of sleep deprivation in the training, I definitely would have had, that would have just added to the stress and anxiety in the back of my head being like, not, um, not only am I going into an environment that as, as, as much as we train and prepare for, you just, you, you can't experience the same conditions and environment that you have when you're out there in the middle of the ocean, unless you're there. And so to try and ease that sort of, that mega stress and anxiety um, in the preparation, in the leading up to it, by removing the other sort of things that you could maybe, okay, yeah, well, I, I know that I'm not gonna be that bad with the sleep, sleep deprivation in the first few days, let's let's at least remove that and then sort of try and make the the overall experience less stressful makes total sense and i think again it's just another example of you making sure that you'd had some experience of what potentially you were going into even if it was experience at a, a dialed down level so a three out of ten rather than a ten out of ten in terms of sleep yeah. sleep deprived deprived sorry in a in a in a, in a gym or in a boat and in a, in a lock rather than the middle of the ocean. So that, that it, it definitely, it definitely prepares you better than not having done it at all. Mm-hmm. We we've talked some nutrition beforehand. What did nutrition and what were some of the recovery protocols that you had while you were on the boat? And I think a lot of people will be interested in terms of like what kind of food are we having? You mentioned like kind of freezer packed stuff and um, what kind of, how much water were you drinking, especially given the fact that you have to clean the water from the ocean and make it, palatable or or not make you sick yeah yeah so so we i mean our our general diet that the majority of your meals of your calories are um freeze-dried rations so um we would have three to four of them a day um we went there's so there's so many different brands that you can go with some teams go with the super high calorie so over a thousand calories in each meal type approach but a lot of it it's a term we learned off Chloe, the sort of dead calories, you know, they're not actually that, that good for you. They're not going to give you sustained energy. And, uh, and on top of that, they don't have any nutritional value. And so you're getting none of your sort of minerals and, and vitamins from these meals. So we went with, uh, with, with one of the brands that was, they were slightly more expensive, but they definitely tasted better. Taste was obviously a huge, hugely important factor as well. Cause when you're eating the same thing day in, day out, if it, if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to be able to get it down. You're not going to be able to get the energy that you need. And it, it kind of just spirals out of control. So the freeze-dried rations, Lyo and uh, Real Termat were the main ones. Um, mainly veggie, actually. Um, just, again, in our training, we mainly went veggie just because it was easier on digestion. Um, and out at sea, you know, you're not having fresh fruit and veg. And so your, your gut is in a, in a bit of uproar anyway. And so to sort of remove as much stress from that as possible by making us a primarily veggie. We say that we had, we took 20 chicken tickers and they were like gold dust. <laughs> I'm one of them in the bottom of the food hatch and it would be a good evening. The, the, the meals were kind of a lucky dip. So some of the, some of the meals we were very fond of, some of them less so. And so they were all in these little round like Henderson hatches. So you just reach in and kind of, you'd have to eat what you, what you got. So when you got a chicken ticker, like, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to watch <laughs> morale would go through the roof. Yeah, but um, and then loads of nuts, loads of, loads of nuts and dried fruits, um, some oat bars and sort of general energy bars, 
um, we all loved banana chips. So we took loads of banana chips and by about day two, we hated banana chips. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting because your, your taste buds change quite a lot um, through the crossing. So some things you initially love, by the end of it, you cannot stand. Yeah. Um, but I think a couple of things we, we, we loved throughout, one of which was peanut butter. We took six kilos of peanut butter. Yeah. And that was like just amazing, like a teaspoon of just 100 calories, so good. Um, the other thing, every morning we had a, a portion of porridge. Yeah. Um, porridge with, mixed with, had coconut milk powder, three types of seed. Yeah, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds. Uh, I can't remember what other type of seed. And then we had these freeze-dried berries as well. So that was that was a real treat. It sounds gourmet to me, guys. That sounds like... Jamie's, Jamie's a very good cook and he's very foodie. So he was kind of in charge of our nutrition. I found it a really interesting process because yeah. I've normally just cooked from out of pleasure and enjoyment in the past. But actually to, to analyze each food that was going into the boat calculating exactly how many calories was in this small portion that would be in our snack pack to then to know exactly how, how many calories we would have for each day. Cause you have to take a minimum amount depending on your body weight, um, which is calculated per kilo. You have to take like um, 65 calories per kilogram of body weight. Yeah. And that's, and then multiply that. Per day, yeah. um, 65. And then multiply that by 65. And so you, you have to take quite a lot of food. Um, so I found that a really interesting process to really analyze the food, break it apart, figure out what we wanted, but also what we were going to enjoy because we knew like, I think the the food aspect, not only fueling us, but it was a huge part of your your mental state and morale on board. So treats were really important. We didn't, we didn't take that many treats because we didn't quite realize how sort of instrumental they can be in giving you something to work towards. But yeah, you'd be amazed at how we, t- we had like, 20 snickers or something which meant we sort of every it was a sort of every second day we would all look forward to a third of a snickers or something like it seems so small and insignificant but if that's your sort of one little bite of chocolate in in two days and the rest is all cold rations and things you really it really sort of focuses the mind you're obsessing over this third of a snickers (laughs) you're gonna eat in about a day and a half literally (laughs) But the, the, the treats were, yeah the treats were definitely important just as sort of mental things um goals short-term goals to, to aim for because it is it's all about breaking it down into manageable yeah tangible goals because as soon as you zoom out on the whole challenge the whole crossing it becomes completely overwhelming and so breaking it down into a, like day-to-day goals even just sort of two hours on the oars, that's what you need to get through. And food was really important in, 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 in aiding that and, and giving us sort of m- smaller goals to look forward to throughout. Yeah, so, and then Colin, you were asking about um, hydration as well. Yeah. Um, I think hydration was a, huge, was a huge thing. As you said, we were desalinating our own water. Um, so it was kind of, we, all, of our, all of the water we drank, we added, so can you remember the name of the formula? Uh, the formula, yeah. Which one? So the not Chloe's one. Um, uh, so we had two. Performance? No, it wasn't performance. We had two types of this formula. We would powdered formula we'd add to our water um, just so that we were getting as much. So one of them was developed by Chloe. 
Um, it's all fruit-based. And she has a kind of a pre-workout, a performance and a recovery um, kind of powder. Um, so the, the performance is, is no, the, the recovery is a bit, bit higher in protein. I don't really know what they're, 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 they're essentially <laughs> yeah. freeze-dried powdered fruit, yeah. um, but very sort of calculated quantities of different types of fruit to give you the right sort of amino acids and different sugars and different yeah. carbohydrates for whether it's before sport, mid-sport or after. It's a weird thing though, because we were almost exercising non-stop. And so there was no, you're not really, you, you're not, you're never, you, I don't think your body is ever going into recovery because you're constantly putting it through stress. And so that's also why sort of our diet didn't have that much protein in it, just because it would have been, it would have not only put our gut through hell, but um, it would have just sort of been pointless calories because it would yeah. much, much more valuable to have sort of carbohydrates, instant energy then and there and, and sort of minerals and, and amino acids and things like that to, to help with our daily functioning as opposed to sort of actually trying to build and, and repair muscle. That makes total sense, guys. And I think from a nutrition perspective, a lot of people can take a little bit from that in terms of you choosing predominantly whole foods, lots of different, like in terms of like quality sources while you were out there, I appreciate some of them were, were the, were the, the freeze packed meals and whatnot, but many, many of them in terms of the oats, the seeds, the, yeah. the nut butters, obviously a lot of these are calorie dense foods, but they're fueling your performance constantly allowing you to go on. And then a small part of the diet was made up of things like the Snickers and the treats. So a lot of people can, yeah. can, can try and translate that into their everyday life when it comes to making sure that the vast majority of what you take in is, is pretty wholesome because it fuels peak performance really and allowing you to continue one of the most prevalent questions for me when i was thinking about this podcast was what were the main challenges when you were out there because it can't all of i mean i know you said the weather went well which was fantastic that you were a united front in terms of shared goals and ambitions but what were some of the challenges that did occur during the 35 days so i mean it was largely surrounding technical issues so we had um we had issues with one of our batteries draining and 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 in those circumstances battery drains puts you under extreme pressure because you you then might not have enough juice in the other battery to power all your instruments most importantly your water maker that then has knock-on effects on okay maybe we need to hand pump water maybe we're gonna so so the prospect of if something like that goes wrong, you're thinking in the back of your mind, oh no, if the other one doesn't hold up, we're going to be hand pumping water for the rest of this crossing, which means on your break. About a litre an hour. It's about, yeah. So you're, and it's, and so you're, when you're meant to be resting, you're actually, so, you know, it, it was these technical issues that be, began to get to us. But thankfully, you and our older brother, he's, a, he's an engineer. He's, he got very familiar with the boat prior to us leaving um, and, the, and, the, and, and was able, we had sort of faith in him and the ability to, to fix things as they as they sort of went wrong so the batteries were an issue the auto helm so you have a you have a chart plotter and that's got your coordinates of where you're sort of where you're aiming and you put in where you want to go and you change it on a daily basis depending on the weather systems that are coming in that's then connected to an auto helm which um, automatically steers your rudder and keeps you on that course you can you can hand steer and when the conditions get really big you tend to hand steer to take the pressure off the auto helm stop it burning out but we had an issue with that in the sense that um at night when there was just one of us on the oars there perhaps and it was big weather 
and there wasn't enough forward momentum on, on the oars, we would quite often get pinned side on. And that's kind of the worst circumstances because worst case scenario, because you're then side on to the wind and the waves and these waves are starting to crash overboard. The other two guys are in their bunks trying to get what pressure sleep they can. And then if you were unlucky enough to be in the back cabin, the, uh, the autopilot would then max out because it panics and it doesn't know which way the boat's going, the boat stopped moving in the right direction. It maxes out, the alarm goes off, the person in the rear cabin, which was always like, it was just like a coffin, a hot, sweaty coffin, would turn on the lights. You've got these like red lights because all the lights, they automatically go to a red, a red setting to, uh, to keep your, um, it helps maintain your um night vision. night vision okay um so you keep so you're, you're in this sort of very demonic red light the alarms are going off you've got your head in this this hatch trying to rejiggle the the the, the, the rudder and the autopilot whilst the gun the oars are starting screaming, screaming at you through the cabin kind of like top hot you idiot because because you're trying to get the boat back round because these weight oh, it's just but then you and then you can't there's the communication between the rower and the person in the stern cabin because you can't actually open the hatch because then if if you were to capsize and that's kind of the the biggest well the main precaution you take is to keep the hatches closed at all times so if you're coming out you get out as quickly as you can and then you shut it again because the kind of these boats are built so that if you do capsize you do flip over they they will self-right unless one of the cabins fills up with water if the if the hatch is open so like you can't open up the, the hatch to see what's going on because if you were to capsize at any time it would be when you're side on to the waves so it's just a yeah quite an intense that would ha that happened quite a lot especially in the first the first kind of 24 hours was the really big waves 35 foot waves and really strong wind and then the last kind of eight days was, was again really big. So I think that was, yeah. So as a result, I think what Jamie was leading to was, as a result, we had an, a big issue with our auto helm um, in that it, it, it kind of, the fiberglass on, on which it sits, it's, it's mounted onto, just turned to mush because it had been put under so much stress from this maxing out and this happening enough times that, we, we'd had power issues before that. The, one of the batteries wasn't, wasn't charging properly. And then the auto helm went, um, as in like it, it came off its mount. We were then also hit by a bunch of really bad weather. We had a five-man team who were behind us and they were kind of, they were kind of our main, for the second half of the race, they were our main competition. They were gaining on us they were within about 30 miles which in a big ocean is not very much so okay. I think that was probably the hardest bit kind of pulling through that because we knew that if we didn't address these issues then we'd be overtaken and our yeah our our, well, our, our ability to finish could have been jeopardized so and you're all you're doing this in a in a sort of a 20 day sleep deprived state and so you're <laughs> Your mind is like just completely all over the shop. <laughs> You're trying to like, and as Lachlan touched on earlier, it's kind of one thing goes wrong, and okay, like we, the three of us can keep on top of it. Two things go wrong, getting a bit stressful. Everyone's a bit sort of you know, you, you're in your sleep-deprived state. You're thinking, oh god, this is it. And then if anything else goes wrong, it's it's trying to just really trying to solve each 
um, problem as it as it arises and get it fixed as quickly as possible because you you soon begin to realize just sort of yeah I don't know how how on your own you are yeah of course I guess I guess that realization that when things go wrong you need to address them quickly because it does become hopefully not a matter of life and death but a matter of finishing and not finishing a matter of being overtaken or or or, or stalling or significantly putting yourselves at, at more risk and of extending this really challenging period which ultimately by that point when you've got maybe eight go, eight days to go maybe you didn't forecast for having eight days to go maybe you forecast for having 10 15 days to go but you're thinking god we've broken the back of this and now things are going wrong with the technology even more so this is a this is not also, what we need um yeah and also kind of the number of stories of people getting within like two or three days because i just as you the, the as you as you approach your destination that is in many ways the final kind of two days is in many ways the most dangerous bit because it's so easy to to, to overshoot, you know, you're too far south and then you can't row against the, the prevailing winds. And so, and, or, or you kind of come too, too far north and you, some, some people have been kind of stranded, kind of bashed into the rocks and failed at the final hurdle. So, and yeah, there, there are a number of pretty or, bad or, stories. Yeah, of, or I think you, you feel like you've, you've, you've come so far, you're so close, you begin to relax. Yeah. And that's kind of the worst thing you can do is, relax off a bit get a bit easy with the sort of safety precautions on the boat on the on the cabins and hatches and it's kind of moments like that so close to finishing that something yeah. just a rogue wave hits you you haven't maybe closed the hatch in time and then that, that's it all ended so that was very much in the back of our minds yeah understandable one other area that was interesting when it came to obviously you've, you've got challenges one of the challenges that i envisage would be something around your focus and like not being distracted or not being perhaps consumed by the repetitive motion of, of rowing, or maybe you found that therapeutic. I'd be interested to hear what from, from, from either of you, if that was different for either of you or, or for you and as well, how did you maintain focus and entertainment? I know you're, you guys are quite talented musicians for starters, but how else did you keep focused? So we actually, about five days in, we realized that, we, we took six iPhone cables with us and obviously like music and, and I guess like audiobooks in, in inspirational stories and music was kind of a big, big plan of keeping us driven and keeping us going. It is a big, like, it's a big motivator. And then about five days in, we realized that five of our six cables had corroded. So we had, we had one left and so then we were faced with, we, we knew that we couldn't continue listening to music because the, the main reason for having the phones was so that we could take footage and we could send it back to kind of people managing our social media uh, back home, Story Shop. Um, and then they would put it out on our channels to try and promote kind of fundraising for our two charities. Yeah. So we knew that we had to, we had to use our, our final cable for, for its real purpose and that the music would have to go which was quite, it was pretty, it was quite a brutal realization. Uh, it was, to be honest, it was quite crushing. Um, <laughs> so, so we didn't have that motivation. So as a result, we actually probably spent a lot more time talking. And I, get, I think that was one of the main things that kept our focus. We just, we, we passed the time by talking about all things, all things under the sun kind of, 
uh, anything we could, any thoughts we could think of, aspirations for the future, yeah. um, projects we might do in the future. So I think, I think for me, that was a, that was a big part of keeping us focused. Um, yeah. And just kind of kept, kept our, <laughs> a lot of the time, I think you're trying to, you're trying to escape the fact, escape the fact <laughs> you are rowing in your face with another, whatever, 20, 20 days of rowing for 16 hours a day. I think that's, as you touched on, you are trying to almost reach a sort of meditative state where the the action of rowing has become so you've become so used to it that it doesn't feel like you are rowing it's just it's just like you're sitting there which does happen and it definitely yeah. does happen because you just you what when you're on the oars it's kind of it was it was actually it was a funny thing when you were on the oars it was when you had the most sort of mental clarity and that was one of the biggest things that the three of us took from it was and and i think enjoyed of the out of the whole experience was because you're because you're on this in this small bubble where in many ways you, all your all of your decisions are made for you so what you're eating when you're eating it when you're high, when you should be hydrating when your shifts are um how long your shifts are all this you know you have no control over them so you just have to there's no decision to be made on top of that the, the the noise of sort of day-to-day -day life of the modern world doesn't exist i mean the only connection we had was a satellite phone where we would get our we had a weather router who was helping us keep on track and we would get coordinates through that and then also just sending our media through our comm system on the boat into a sort of black hole where we had no idea where it was being used or how it was being shared and so you're in this in this wonderful bubble of sort of complete clarity of thought. And so it allows you to, when, especially when you're on the oars and you're sort of, your body's sort of stimulated um, to sort of whatever the, the, the thought that comes up or the, the topic of conversation, you approach it in a very, a very clear and undisturbed manner to, to what you would in, in, in real life. And it's a, it's a wonderful sort of feeling and experience yeah. that, you kind of after the experience you long for that clarity of thought yeah that's that's incredible that focus that and one of the terms that i've, I've read before um i'll butcher the guy's name but michael <laughs> chiscansky or something like that he talks about flow state and it's incredible because we can end up in this state where our minds like you say jamie and, and, and you touched on it as well whack on we are just going through this process and it's almost like we're not going through that process we're thinking about other things we've got complete clarity in other areas and one of the big terms that probably comes to mind when you're talking about this away from distraction because you know your set routine and your pattern you are completely present within anything that happens within that because there's no social media there's no news there's no uh novelty in your routine whatsoever so when you have a conversation say you, you guys start talking about whatever your next project's going to be you start talking about an experience you had as kids together that's the only thing that's going through your head that you can discuss so probably the quality of conversation is incredible i i certainly know this like when you spend time catching up with an old friend over dinner or not and you're both not on your phones and you're both just speaking about that you yeah. can have an incredibly deeper conversation and a deeper connection than if you're both checking instagram every two minutes or somebody's coming over to take your order and whatnot so there's a, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot to be said for that experience that you've gone through it's interesting that when technology perhaps failed you with regards to the music and the the, the podcast and the audiobooks you were able to turn to this 
kind of deeper discussion and deeper focus within that and kind of taking stock within each each row and trying to put it out your head that you're actually rowing and just enjoying the actual process no definitely like the 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 cables the cables breaking in hindsight was probably the best thing that could have happened just because otherwise we wouldn't have had that i called it i called it (laughs) (laughs) i when it happened when we had the realization i was like now lads i think uh, this is crushing but i think this will be the best thing about this crossing i didn't actually believe that (laughs) at all but i was just trying to I don't know. But you're right. It's it, it's it's um, it's it's you listen to sort of uh, mindset and, and podcasts and things things like that, and so many a lot uh, like a hot topic is how to be more present in yeah. your day to day life, how to be more present in the things you love doing, and and and, and removing unnecessary distractions. But it's to be in an environment where you have no choice, mm. and then this sort of in- incredible present feeling and, and clarity comes out of it it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful sort of um wonderful thing to happen i think it's also um what jamie was as jamie was just saying you you don't you, there are no decisions and really the only decision you have to make is that you're going to try and enjoy it which is quite which is something that people said to us before and i think we only really appreciated that when we were there because it was so, so easy to just kind of like look for the negatives of the experience. The fact that you're tired, the fact that you don't have what you want for dinner, you, you know, the fact that you're whatever, that you're overwhelmed, you're uncomfortable, your hands are sore, whatever it is. But really, the only decision, you know, or, or you can look for the positives, you know, you can look for the positives of the beautiful stars at night or the dolphins you saw during the day or you know whatever or the conversation you're having so that was a really interesting thing that that you could have you know the same experience and have a very different experience of it based on kind of the way you approached it um I don't know if that makes any sense. No, no I think that's quite profound. To be fair, I, I'm 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 a fan of that, and I think we can I think we can certainly. You've shocked yourself there, Wacon. Um, <laughs> I filled you, come. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I I certainly think that we can take elements of that into present day life. So reducing the distractions that we have from outside things, so phones, social media, um, kind of instantly trying to seek gratification or something from like TV or Netflix, whereas sometimes we can actually just sit within the moment and embrace it and perhaps be more present and i think that's certainly something we, we can all take forward last last couple of questions gents what what is coming next potentially so you worked with uh, feedback madagascar and children first is there a challenge in the pipeline has coronavirus derailed it and and is there anything you can share with the listeners that they can maybe keep an eye on for the the Brewer brothers doing in future so i think i think we're definitely going to so i mean we had lots. We had a few events planned that obviously had to be cancelled to sort of reach the eventual. We, we set ourselves an ambitious target for 250 grand for the two charities, but two haven't quite reached that. But we've got to about 190 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, doing raising money for a charity and doing something that wasn't just for ourselves, I think is something that the three of us definitely want to take forward. And so we, 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 we did the, the whiskey run um, and, and sort of produced a blend of our own um, for, for one of the charities. And I think we're going to take that forward. And maybe if we can try and do sort of many adventure stunts around different whiskey distilleries around Scotland, we haven't quite ironed out the, uh, how that's going to fall into place, but that, that's definitely something. Um, 
the three of us also want to try and do sort of a bigger challenge as well. What what that'll be, we're not too sure. Um, we're faced we're faced with the difficult um, well, kind of the the problem that starting with rowing the Atlantic is. I don't know. We've kind of shot ourselves in the foot because we don't really know where to go from that. You know. <laughs> How it. We've also pigeonholed ourselves in the fact that it has to be something that involves the three of us. So it's kind of got to be like a, 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 there has to be a team element where it justifies having three of us. So I think we might need to just sort of create a whole new, I don't know, adventure of our own. Who knows? We've, I like we've got those vague ideas of Ewan's trying to come up with a weird and wonderful, some sort of tricycle <laughs> that might be able to move over land perpetually. That's all we'll say for now. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see how it develops, gents. My listeners are quite an inventive bunch. So if you can point us in the direction of your social media and your website, I'll add it to the show notes. So if you just give me the handles just now, guys, and I'll, I'll ask the listeners to share a, maybe a, a suggestion. If one of them gets a, 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 a genius idea of listening the three brothers, they could do this as their next challenge. Then I'll ask them to, to reach out. But obviously to, to support your upcoming adventures as well in terms of the the charitable stuff so where's the best place for the for the listeners to head to yeah so our um our instagram handle is at broad atlantic and um our website is www.broad.co.uk um there may be a and that's facebook as well at broad atlantic yeah facebook as well i'll link i'll link i'll link all three of those in the show notes below thanks very much for your time gents if you're still listening at this point guys please take a screenshot pop it in your instagram story tag myself tag the bro brothers and i cannot wait to hear your feedback on this it's been an absolute pleasure speak to you all again very very soon